Love Talk Radio. Welcome to the World of Ink Network, founded in 2011 by Virginia Grenier and Marsha Cook. Their vision was to start a radio show that helped writers reach their dreams. The World of Ink has a wonderful group of hosts who are dedicated to delivering shows to entertain and inspire listeners. The World of Ink Network shares resources that introduce tips, products, and services to help strengthen, support, and challenge those who love writing and the written word. Their hope is to bring not only authors, illustrators, and publishers together, but screenwriters, directors, and producers. New to the network will be a variety of special shows, bringing not only entertaining shows, but informative discussions on timely subjects. To learn more about us, go to www.worldofinknetwork.com or visit us on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Thank you for your support and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. It's Marsha Cook, and it is August 1st. Oh, my God, I can't believe the summer's going by so fast. And... uh, who better to start this with is with Jack Remick, but he'll be on in a couple seconds. But let's see, let's give you some interesting things happening here. Uh, Virginia Grenier, I think she's going to come on in September with me. We'll do a show. Um, but we are still the world of ink, but we are actually Michigan Avenue Media. That's the primary name actually right now. But I'm not taking off world of ink because we've done shows for nine years. So those you know, from before will know who we are. And uh, we have a lot of good shows coming up, and um, Scott Casely, he'll be back doing a show, and Elizabeth Black, and um, Cassandra Dane will be back, um, and uh, we have Piper Stone, who will be on in two weeks talking about their new anthology, her new anthology, which is from Blushing Books, and uh, they'll be on some of the authors. We're not sure exactly who's coming on, but there's uh, several of them, and that'll be fun. And then... Uh, Actually, as a surprise to me, I have an extra show, and uh, the person we're having on is actually someone Jack introduced me to, Jasmina Sidorovsky, and uh, she'll be on tomorrow night with me and Jack at 8.30 Central, 9.30 Eastern, because she's in Sydney, Australia, so that's like, it's a whole different day for her. So that should be interesting. She's got a magazine, and she's. we're going to talk about inspiring women, and that goes along with we'll probably finish off today with what we're going to do tomorrow because today is What If Women Ruled the World, and Jack Remick, he wrote that book. So, uh, well, Citadel. It's called Citadel, and he's going to tell us all about Citadel, and he's a, a wonderful writer, as everybody knows, that's listened to the shows, but uh, and he knows women really well and he writes unbelievably uh complicated <laughs> that's how we put it yet complicated women uh not that we are complicated at all we all understand each other it's just men don't understand us so um, jack tell everybody who you are and how you came to be writing citadel let's say who you are first okay because okay, a lot of people I'm... have known you from the shows all right all right. Well, I'm I'm Jack Remick. I live in Seattle. Uh, I've written a bunch of novels, a bunch of different books. Um, just sort of 
kick off something about timed writing here just popped into my head as you were talking about women being complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, a few years ago, Bob Ray, who's my writing partner, we wrote The Weekend Novelist Writes a Mystery together. Uh, and it's still in print, still doing really well. But Bob was writing with Natalie Goldberg in uh, Taos, New Mexico. He was trying to figure out what to do with his life. And uh, they told him, that, well, why don't you make you know, writing your, your practice, do writing? So he became one of the gurus of timed writing and moved to the West Coast. And so that sort of kicked up. But what he said one time was very interesting. He was like one of two men in this group of 30 women working with Natalie. And he said, you know, for five minutes, they were the best writers in the world. You know, he just could He said, here I was sort of dragging my feet trying to figure out what to do. And they'd already solved the problem. So there we go. Our, there we go. Our, our, our I can't argue with that. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I, I worked with Bob for a number of years. Well, I'm still working with Bob. And um, we worked together on all of our books. I have books of short stories and poetry, novels a couple screenplays, essays, and that kind of thing. Uh, and I you have, have a wonderful a couple, blog for people, a blog, your blog. I mean, you end up blog called, Yeah, Bob and Jack's writing blog, which at, at one point we said, let's put everything we know about writing online mm-hmm. and make it available to anyone who wants it. So it's still there, Bob and Jack's yeah. writing blog. Some of the material has different dates than you would expect, but the techniques are still virtually solid. I reviewed a book by a friend of mine um, named uh, Jessica Stone, and she um, had written this mystery called Blue, and I read it, and I talked to her and then wrote a little thing to her, and I said, you know, uh, it seems, you know, you've got really this good character, you're doing some nice things, and of course, as a mystery writer, all the modular scenes are in place, and she says, well, of course they are, I read your book. <laughs> how to write a well, that's, that's, well, of course they are. Okay. I read your book. You see, right? See, there <laughs> well, you go. But you know, it, that is true, though. I mean, you know, there are things. Things have changed in the world so much. However, writing has really not changed. I mean, a good story is a good story, which was the name of this show when I started it nine years ago. Because it's that's what everybody's looking to write is a good story, short, long, yeah, exactly. you know, whatever. But and it's hard. It's not that easy. You know, and uh, I think people that think it's easy, they, you know, they end up go, leaving writing because this is not easy. Yeah. This is hard. That's this a is, real, it's very hard. That's a real, yeah, that's a real problem. When Bob and I were teaching back up a step, Bob and I team taught at the University of Washington in, you know, how to write a novel, short story, novella, screenplay, and stuff like that. And we often had writers who would, be in the middle of a novel, 50 pages into the novel, and they say, this is really hard. I'm going to write a, a, a poem. I'll be right poem. They, oh, that's really hard. I'm going to write a short story. Oh, that's really hard. I'm going to write a screenplay. And pretty soon, you know, they become, you know, master of none. And right. so we, we developed this whole way of trying to get writers to stick with it. Two things. Don't put it out there before it's finished, you know. Right. Don't put yeah. it out and this is a big thing, Marcia, a really, really big thing. So many times a new writer has splendid ideas and a lousy technique. 
And so they have no way of realizing those wonderful ideas. And that's a really big, big thing that I've become much more aware of it as uh, we've gotten into the period of what we call the late style. Uh, There was a guy named Edward Said who was a Palestinian-American philosopher, thinker. He died a few years ago. But he wrote a wonderful essay about the late style. He talks about musicians and philosophers and poets and things. And it occurred to me what he was talking about in the late style was a point in time when the techniques and the ideas merge. At that point, you can do anything you want as a writer, a thinker, a musician. One of the examples he uses is Beethoven's Opus 111, a piano sonata, that by all means is just probably one of the greatest pieces of piano music ever written. Very difficult, but very enlightened. And here it is only possible after Beethoven had solved all the other problems that were set before so I think that writers, you know, one of the things that Bob and I have tried to do is to help writers not put it out too early, yeah. finish what you start, you know, and wait long enough for your technique to catch up with your ideas. Did Did you ever see there, there's a there's something on now? It's a documentary, but it's kind of it's a movie documentary on Andrew Andrew Bocelli. Okay, and no, um, I have not. No. It, it was so good because ever you think that here's this guy, he's a wonderful voice, one, two, three, he made it, he's out there, you know, and it's a rough road for me, he is blind, you know. But if when you watch it, the, the documentary, it wasn't all that easy for him. It was so hard, right. okay? It was so difficult, and he was rejected and rejected and rejected. And then he then he found someone that would train him and to be the singer that he should, and then everything mm-hmm. clicked. It was so yeah. – uh, actually, you know, the cast was good, and, I mean, everything about it was so good. And But the thing is, like you're talking about music – Music, anything with the arts, you just, it, you have to, it, you can't just throw it out there like you're saying. It takes time. And even after it's done, then you go, right. oh, well, maybe I should, you know, rework it and whatever. And we all have those insecurities. But the truth of the matter is, there it's part of us that's coming out there. And so sometimes right. when somebody gets rejected, then they stop. And that's really bad. You yeah. can't. Yeah. You know, yeah. and well, one, this I, is one of the reasons I, I do the that. show. Yeah, I, I deal with that when I work with writers who want to put it out too early. And, and I said, look, you have to get over your need to be loved. Yeah. <laughs> if you can solve that problem, you know, then you're really going to, to make the next step into being a writer. Uh, I also I have a whole bunch of adages and cliches that I pop out, you know. Yes, I and, know and that. I, 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 I start conferences. Yeah, I like to start conferences when I give, you know, conferences. You know, writers have only three problems. How do you start? How do you keep going? And how do you finish? You solve those and you've got it. <laughs> right. you got a great book. Okay. You know, it is it's, true. It's kind I, of I want to talk about Citadel. Because, okay. Now, okay. You were on before we talked about it, but I want, you know, it is a very complicated, interesting, and different style book. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. um, I'm sure it was difficult to figure out how to do the way you did the style of it. But I actually yeah. wanted myself, even with my own writing, like it 
when a chapter starts, like sometimes with a name, like Trish or whatever, you yeah. you know, right. Rose or any, you know, but anything like that. And it's such a, I like that style, but it's not the most, you, you know, this is a tough one to show publishers yeah. because sometimes they okay. go, really, what is this? So yeah. talk about yeah. how you decided Citadel should be there. Okay. Way. All right. Very early on, uh, there are really two novels and a novella in this novel called Citadel. The outer novel is the relationship between the author and the editor. And the middle novel is the novel that the novelist has written, the author has written. And inside that novel, there's a novella. Okay. So right away, I had a very dense and deep kind of structure coming down. Yeah. But the the issue was, who do I tell? Who is telling the story? How do I do that? So for I have a way of when I before I ever write a scene in a novel or anything, I write everything I can. I call it write about the writing. I'm writing yeah. about the writing. Sometimes it goes on for a year. You know, it's yeah. just I try to write down everything that I can get to know, so I'm inside the world this character is in. Yeah. Right, there came a point when, and I don't even know when it happened, when I shifted from third person she to first person I. And I made the big breakthrough then to say, wait a minute, why not have each of the characters important, the four big characters in this book, each of them have a point of view. And so I have a totally different eye structure. The problem was, how do I keep each voice in the voice of the character? Well, that was easy once I found out who they were. So there's, there's that issue, you know, about making the shift from the third person to the first person. The next big problem was I had written the inner novel, which is Dava's book, much, much earlier, you know, like 10 years ago. And we confronted the problem you just touched on, you know, how do you do this? How do you make that work? So I had to real, I had, I realized there had to be a way to write the inner novel without doing the, you know, that deep kind of, quotation thing that you have to do sometimes, you know, you break the outer novel and put the other one in there and take the that output. So it was just very, very difficult. But that's where I realized that my technique had finally caught up with my ideas. Oh, right. right. Then okay. within within the inner novel, I had a three part novella that is a it's sort of a history of and I don't know, there's no kind way to say this. It's a history of the violence against women. Yeah. Okay. And this is one of the things that the inner novel is really dealing with by example. The outer novel and Citadel itself are really talking far less about the direct violence against women and far more about the effects of violence against women. So yeah. Citadel was written at a time, the, the inner novel was written at a time when I was just kind of getting my feet on the ground as a novelist, I did not know how to write a novel. I had these wild ideas. Well, an example of a wild idea in the inner novel, I wrote nearly 150 pages about the world in the novel. How do they move around? Where do they live? How do they dress? How do they transmit information? How do they how do they t- send net, net notes to one another. So I had this whole thing about it, you know, and I had to leave a lot of that out 
because it became so complex. I was verging on a thousand pages, and I yes, could not do a right. thousand page novel no, of no. this complexity and, and density. So, what I decided to do was sort of hop skip through the inner citadel and use the outer novel, Tricia and Deva, as the binder that holds all of that in place. And as we move through time, we move through a progression of they meet together, they discuss their lives. Tricia finds out that Deva has a novel. She says, oh, I'm an editor. I should give it to my... So we follow that all the way through. And so the structure of the novel is really in three parts. We have this little nugget on the inside, which is a three-level history of violence against women. We have the Citadel novel itself, which is the piece that Tricia is working on as editor. And then we have the outer novel, which is Deva, the relationship of David to Tricia, or she put it another way in the archetype, the writer to the editor. What I wanted to do in Citadel was to bring out finally the role of the editor in a more complex way than you ever see it. In fact, at one point when Tricia is, they've already published the book, they're at a reading and Deva has read from it and the crowd says, Deva, Deva, Deva. And Tricia is standing in the back of the room and she says, no one ever says Tricia, Tricia, Tricia. The editor, like Flaubert said, the editor is like God in the universe, you know, yeah. everywhere evident, nowhere present. Yeah. And so. Which is, that, which is an interesting concept because which is sometimes the truth in life, you know, when you're yeah. in the book yeah. world. You know, uh, yeah, I wanted to ask you, you know, this is one thing before we go on. You know, I, I know you've written screenplays before and, yes. you know, years ago. You know, there's so many different types of series on now why don't you try to do this as a screenplay because i think the problem that you faced writing the book you won't have writing the screenplay yeah well the issue have you thought there about was, that or? you know oh yeah well that's why i have the inner screenplay you know the right, screenplay that, right that's that what i'm saying because right so when 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 the character um <laughs> I often forget my own characters. When the screenwriter director comes yeah. on, you know, she she says, you know, I heard about this. You know, I can do this. I can see what you're doing. So what I took in that, what I wanted to do there, uh, I'm not sure want is the right word. But what I did there, Marcia, was to say everything that I kind of had learned from the screenwriters, including Stuart Stern, who was, you know, a pretty well-known writer, was, you know, what what you – Film is really about behavior, the way human yeah. beings do things. It's not yeah. about words. And they used to say one of the, 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 the perfect movie is a silent movie. In other words, it's all about gesture and action. Yeah. Well, so what the, yeah. what, the, what the director does is she picks up on those things. She says, you can film this, you can film that, you can film this, you can't film that. So, you know, so she's giving a lesson in how to write a screenplay. So when that fully realized at the end, you see the characters in the roles that she is shooting at that point. So I leave the window open to write a screenplay based on Citadel. But I, yeah. again, see, I was getting up to a thousand pages and yeah. I had the last 50, 60 pages of this thing were, in fact, a screenplay in screenplay format. 
but right. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't do that. I had to take it out. So I just left that little capsule. In See, because there now they the, have series, you know, and so, you know, sometimes with a screenplay, you have to get get it out so fast. You only have between you know ninety and one hundred and twenty. Well, actually. Now right. it's like I think most of them are like almost a hundred pages. Some not you know because right. it's less money, but you know, and because you probably wouldn't be finished with that, there's no way. Then mm-hmm. you can write you know a few yeah. you know a few parts for the series because I, yeah. there's so many series now, and some of the series are really good now because they're really you know a lot of times as writers what you and I were talking about before is that if I'm doing a character like my like say my Virginia Templeton that's the character I did in short stories but she remains in my head and I make notes all the time because I'm getting to know her better what I didn't know when I wrote her at the beginning I'm knowing now so I mean we learn so much more if I think a lot of writers, they do a story and then their characters pop out of their head. But if the character stays in your head, that means you need to do something else with them. And once that happens, it's like you're doing, you take notes and I do the same thing. I write, I have notebooks all over the place because I write a lot of notes down because I'm thinking of something and I put it down, but if I don't write it down, it's gone forever. And so if it's a really good thought that you have, I think if people carried a notebook or whatever and their characters were coming back to them, which is in a series now, that's how the series are because people are loving the series because even like, let's say they'll do a short series. It's eight, eight shows. And then all of a sudden, like the, the affair came out as eight shows and now they're doing the third or fourth season. Now there's a show. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called diet land. And Uh it's, Okay, this is a lot of what you're talking about. This mm-hmm. is a watching a woman and a group of women who are trying to, you know, be beautiful, be perfect, find the right man, don't understand why right. one of them is very heavy. And right. it's a lot of destructive behavior, and right. which is yeah. making them that way, which is so close to what you're writing too, which is, such in them, and it, and it, there's a women characters in it. It's Juliana Margulies and um, another woman. Uh, uh, her name in it is Plum. But it's it, people that I have talked to really like these shows now because right. you, you can actually identify. Because women, yeah. you know, need, like a lot of identifying with other women, and we're going like, oh, that's not so bad because I'm like that too, you know. And I think if right. they don't feel alone. And I think yeah. when well, you, you write know, one the way the, you do, because you yeah, write that let way. Me, let, me, let me interrupt just just a little thing. Uh, I believe that Eleanor Sapia Parker Parker Sapia has been on your show, right? Well, when yes. she, we were on there together. Yeah, you know, yes. she wrote a, a really nice review of of Citadel, and in it she says, you know, I am all of those women. <laughs> Yeah. Which really, what, right, right, you know, what, yeah. you know right. Gets, She's, yeah, it gets me to a bigger, a bigger thing here, and and uh, well, let me let me backtrack. When I was working this thing up, one of my writer friends is a woman named Jerry Gale, and she and I actually sat down one day and read through Citadel out loud. We read it back and forth, and she said, "You know, you're going to have some problems here." Uh, because you're a man writing about women in this world, 
that is a world without men. And how is this going to set, you know, you may, maybe you need a pseudonym. And so I said, well, I have to think about that. Well, she discussed it with her partner, and both she and her partner agreed that, no, you have to leave this in a man's voice because a man writing this, you know, is saying, okay, here's what we see and what don't we see. Now, I also yeah. talked to a friend of mine the other night, and she she gave me some really interesting ideas. She's having trouble finishing the book because it brings out things in her that are so strong that she doesn't, she can't read much more of wow. what is there. See, it's so oh, powerful. I, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you read, if you remember the scene in, in Citadel called Sin and Sacrifice, S-Y-N. Her name is Sin, you know, because I have all the three, three character, three letter characters, the Sin and Sacrifice. And when, when Rose, who is the therapist, talks to her therapist, she tells her that Tricia is, as the editor, seems to be taking on all of the pain that all women have felt through all time. And yeah. therapist says, that's not her privilege. She can't do that. So you see, if, if a woman feels that, then how can I, as a man, writing this, possibly get to what is going on? Well, here's what is going on in Citadel. I get women all the time who read the book. They talk to me. They say, but my husband, my brother, my uncle, my grandfather, they're not like that. They're not walking around butchering women or, you know, feeling up yeah, women yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. the elevator. And I say, no, that's true. They, they probably aren't. But they benefit as a man. They benefit from all of those bad boys who put tattoos on their foreheads and walk around carrying AR-15s. In other yeah. words, it's the fear engendered in the culture by those males who have, are still paleolithic in their behavior. Their minds are still operating as though the AR-15, which can fire, what, 300 bullets a minute, you know, is a stone yeah. so, or yeah. is an axe, you see. That's where their minds are, and men benefit from that. So what we have to do as men is take it upon ourselves to say, no, enough is enough. Yeah. You know, one of the but examples that, of but, that. I but like I don't, use, you know, that's a problem, though, for men. I mean, you see it and you understand it, but a lot of men probably don't. Yeah. You know oh, the sure. Well, they're, they don't know any. They have no idea, the, some of them. They have the white privilege of being a male in a culture dominated by fear that arises out of the few men who are the killers. And that's what, you know, when, when Tricia finds the opening of Citadel, let me read it to you, all right? I don't know if you remember this, Mark. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, read. But, no, it's all right, read. Okay, okay, let me, let me get the, the piece It's a very powerful book. It. The killing started and it did not stop. The men butchered women, they slaughtered children, they killed everything that lived, and then they massacred one another. They took women prisoners and cut their tongues out, they cauterized the breasts of their captives, they stitched the eyes of women shut so they could not see, they nailed the lips of women closed so they could not speak. The women they did not destroy in battle. The men saved for the disruptors. The disruptors were the first instruments of war designed specifically to dissolve women. The disruptors were perfect. 
so perfect that they remain functional until 206 after foundation. Now, people say, oh, that's an exaggeration. I say, baloney. We were, you know, where were we when the three, when the men in Nigeria kidnapped 300 village women and took them prisoner and kept them prisoner for five years, you know, raped them and had, they had babies, you know, where are we when the men gunned down the women walking down the street? You say, where are we? What have we become as a culture when we allow that to happen? Yeah, it's, it's. You know, and, well, right, that would be a really big question right now, I mean, uh, in life. You know, and I think that, you know, I don't think that people, you know, sometimes, you know, you don't want to think about these things, so you don't. But we have and to, that's how people, right, Exactly, uh, exactly. But, yeah. when, but okay, so when when you were going to publish this, how, how, what, we, what would the publishers have said? A lot of them, you know, because you know well, what I'm saying, because they, they 90, wouldn't want it right, because it's so intense. Not because they didn't want it, but they don't know what to do with it, probably. They don't know what to do with it, right. So you yeah. had to bring it. Well, Quartet Global brought it out, you know. Um, the the whole thing that I'm trying to get to is, well, deep down, Marsha, at a certain level, Citadel is about democracy, now, that may sound strange, a book about women living in citadels without men, milking no. lands, you know, all this kind yeah. of stuff. All right, but here, here's what it gets back to. When, when in Gulliver's Travels, Gulliver goes to Lilliput and, you know, he's a giant. How do the Lilliputians handle him? They rope him down and tie him to the ground. They stake him out, you know, on the ground. They get control of him. What that's telling us Swift was writing a metaphor for democracy. He said, if all of us little people work together, we can control that damn giant. We can control that 45-carat-headed you know, monstrosity that we elected you know, in, in 16. We can control that you know, by tying them down, by voting. So if we look at what we can do instead of what we can't do, Citadel becomes a metaphor for the democratic freeing of women from the shell of their captivity. You know, I leave you speechless, and that's okay, really no, something. You know why? Because, you know, there, there's such speech. a great, it's really a lot of what is happening right now. And it's, yeah. you yeah. know, I mean, when you watch the talk shows and everything, you know, watching all these shows and people are saying, well, why is this? Ha- why is a lot of this happening now? And then you see, like, I, this is um, not that political. What I'm going to say, but it's like when a comedian, let's say, says something, okay, about mm-hmm. what's happening now. All the mm-hmm. other comedians who used to come to each other's, you know, uh, well, they used to say like, oh, this can't be happening, and they, you know, they would rescue them. But now mm-hmm. they leave them out there. And mm-hmm. they're not rescuing, or they're not rescuing anybody that says anything right. because everybody's kind of afraid that they're the next one to go. And because right. even yeah. without a trial, without even good evidence of anything yeah. now, you go like, yeah. oh, this, this person is horrible. This one did this or that. And we don't even know if they really did it already. They're like ready to stone them and get rid of them, whoever right. it is. Right. You know, and right. where yeah. did. We never did that before. 
Because right. what happens is at least the people deserve to have facts. There aren't any sometimes. Right. You know, yeah. they show yeah. a they show a shot of somebody, you know, that did something 20 years ago. I mean, you know, if you look back, I mean, when you're 20, there's nothing to look back for because we're there, you know, we're right here now. But when you're a little older, 40 and up, I think yeah. you know what's yeah. going on because you've seen sure it. Sure you do, yeah. And yeah. so yeah. why? Why now, and why did all of that get overlooked when it probably should have never been? And will this, this is a problem, I think, is will women not get hired to do some jobs that they're very qualified for because yeah. men will be afraid to hire them that, that <laughs> if they say the wrong thing, will those men lose their jobs? True yeah. or not? Yeah. Well, you know what, Margaret. You know what. You know what, Margaret yeah. Atwood said. Well, she gets credit for it. Yeah. Uh, and I cited it in the book too. Men are afraid women will laugh at them. Women are afraid men will kill them. You know, and that's that's yeah. the way the book, in a sense, opens. Well, what we need to modify that too is. Men are afraid women will laugh at their small penises. M- women are afraid men will kill them for laughing at their small penises. It gets down to a really gutsy but thing. See, it, you, it, see. you know what? It really, you know, it isn't always about sex. But I, I think what you're saying, though, you said in the books, were sex, money. I mean, you know, everybody thinks yeah. those are the, the key words. But at the end of the day, a relationship mm-hmm. that matters is a good thing. It shouldn't be about money, just sex. It should be a relationship that's lasting that, you know, you can, right. I see, think, to me, what, This is what Tricia is, is trying to get to in Deva's novel, where she says, are men and women on divergent evolutionary paths? And the driver of that, yeah, the answer is yes. And the, yeah. the, the driver of that divergence is the word no. The most powerful word in Citadel is N-O. When a woman says no, and you can talk to many women who have said, I said no, and he didn't stop, you see, because the man feels entitled to override that no with his Paleolithic drive, which is still buried in his sexuality. See, And so what women have, have been able to do in Citadel, you know, is to approach. I want to read you one end where. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's a character in the novel named Cavi, and I invented a term. She's an archaeo historian. She's a, a, a woman, a daughter. I call all the women in the book daughters because, in fact, genetically that's correct. You know, we're all daughters until, you know, so, so she, she reads, she gets to the, she gives a report, and we read part of the report. And then I want to read you just the, just the very end of it. I stayed for days at the battle sites to mourn the women and their unborn. I did not feel the need to mourn the killers. And on the 75th day of my journey, I stood on a hill overlooking a destroyed city of the plain, shimmering in a hot afternoon sun. I saw the glinting of bones and the white shining of bones. A deep sadness overcame me. I knew this was the first citadel on my map. I tagged it C1. 
I marched down off the hill a day's walk to the glinting until I came to rest at the edge of a huge killing field. I saw metal that had not decayed and chariots that had not yet rotted and sown in the ground were bones. In that field, all terror, all fear of all time smothered the land like a choking cloud of desperation. I worked the killing fields for two days. I recalled the writings of the Arakeo historians who said that in the plains where the bloodshed was greatest, the soil turned fertile, the grasses grew tall and thick. In the chaos of bones and metal, I found the skeletons of men and horses. Here and there, the residue the wooden cross, a relic of a gold crescent, a double cross, a simple cross, a gold six-pointed star, evidence that the unification of the dogmas was not a fiction. Though far in time from the killing, I imagined the thunder of war, the groans, and the quaking of annihilation. In that field, as I stood over chaos, I recalled the sages saying, Women will not be free until the last priest strangles the last politician with the entrails of the last lawyer and then slits his own throat. I oh. cried at the loss of paradise because in the killing, all our dreams had died. So what's that about? Well, it's about the religious repression that women are undergoing right now in the United States. Every time the Senate even thinks about passing a bill or a law which violates the woman's right to choose, that's the politician who needs to be strangled with the intestines and the entrails of the last lawyer. Because what's happening, Marcia, piece by piece, women living in the niche, Women like you in Virginia, you know, you can own property, you have money, you can do your own show, you can vote, you can wear clothes the way you want to clear. That's called living in the niche. That's the way David describes it. And yet they are in Washington, D.C., in England, in every place except Ireland right now, everywhere else, Italy, they're looking at taking away all the things that women have gotten free from, away from them, a piece at a time. In Arkansas, you know, I think I mean, it was. I it, mean, it is. It, it, it's a bad. I mean, when you really think about it, you, it's so hard to believe that all of this is happening now because we were coming. We were, we've gone so far, and then now we're going back. If you see any of the documentaries or any things from the past or any of the series that go into the 70s, and you look at the 70s and you go, oh, my God, women couldn't do this, they couldn't do that, they were just getting coffee for their bosses, and you go like, oh, my God, that was then, okay? And we've thought we were moving on, but it looks like we're we're going back. And And that's why Citadel, for me right now, had had to be written. You know, now it's interesting right. that there's only one speaking male character in the, you know, in the in the book, and that's Caleb, who is the screenwriter, right. right? But all the voices are women. You know, the book cover was designed by a woman. The reviews that I'm getting are mostly from women. In other words, this book is coming at a timely moment in American history when all of the gains that women made in the past century, and especially after 1920, are being taken away, or they are trying to take them away a piece at a time. And this yeah. should anger all of us. Okay, you know. Okay, I, I'm I, I sorry. Think I, get, I, I think it does know, anger people, and I think that, but, you know, um, when you're saying women are reading this book, you know, um, mm-hmm. that that's because it's affecting us. And, you know, 
you are a writer who gets into the depth of a woman, and which is not easy to do because you know when I even when I was um, doing you know when I was an agent I used to you know I read I was an agent for twenty years so I used to read everybody's scripts and whatever and I could see that the a lot of the men they didn't understand women very well and it you know and then there were a couple writers that I can see that they wrote women characters really well and it's not very mm-hmm. easy and so now we're at least getting a lot of women out here that are producers directors screenwriters and they're trying to put their voices out there you know and mm-hmm. we do have netflix now we do have hbo and i think people are seeing it now even if they're not reading it i think they're seeing mm-hmm. th- and they're showing it that's why i see for mm-hmm. you this would you know be a perfect series of what could be happening yeah. in the way it is now and you know cuz we this is what needs to be out there things like this so people really see it you know, because a lot of people, right. unfortunately, have stopped watching the news. They just can't take it anymore. And, you know, yeah. they they yeah. can't listen to all of this. And But while we're speaking now, some of our rights are being taken away because we don't know everything. Correct. And it's, you know, right. and I think when this is the time for this book for you because this would be a great time to put this out, you know. Yeah. And yeah. It, it has a lot of messages. You know, yeah, but all right, yeah. and you also have you know, all right, as writers go, you have different fonts in the book. Okay, so mm-hmm. if what made you do that to express different the way different people talk, or there's so many different, you know, I mean, because that's unusual. Yeah. And yeah. Why well, did you? Okay. Why? why what we, made you do that? Okay, one of the well, I could tell you the shift from third person to first person was right. really important in this. The second thing is I have a wife, I have a daughter, I have a granddaughter, you know, and I am fearful. I am really fearful that yeah. what my wife struggled to achieve, yeah. uh, you know, in the 70s, 80s, you know, is now being attacked by the religious right. One of my friends, Benjamin yeah. Smith, a poet, calls it the Christian fascists, you see, and Christopher Hitchens, who is a very interesting man, I'm, you know, I'm going full bore here. And if I antagonize some people, well, maybe they need to be antagonized. He says Christianity is a death cult. What? What do you mean a death yeah. cult? Well, they want, that's why they're anti-abortion. They're anti-contraception. They're anti-everything that has anything to do with a woman's choice. See, because what they're saying is the more bodies we get, the more souls they are. So when the rapture comes, all of us good guys will get to go up to heaven. Now, I'm serious. This is You yeah, can hear Christopher yeah. Hitchens or well, Sam Harris. Is, I know, forget it, who it this is. This is a very serious time, I mean, for women and for mm-hmm. – this is a very serious time for a lot of reasons. Not, it's not only just the politics. It's just – we somehow lost touch of who we are, you know, and what we are and all the good things. And, you know, America is a great country. And, you know, my grandmother came from Russia and she never looked back ever, you know, and um, she was 101 when she left, She, you know, when she died. And I talked to Mm -hmm. a lot of people, you know, and um, she and, and a lot of people that have come here, they came here for a reason. They could be who you know sure. they wanted to be, and that yeah. is why they were yeah. here. And so then they have families, and we all believe in those principles. And so I, right now, it seems like such a turn for so fast that we're all yeah. we're kind of like 
you go like, what? You know, like, um, I don't know, there's a comedian, I don't know if you're Louis Black, he was on one of the shows, and he's talking, it was, it was true, though. He was saying that, okay, stop watching the news, because the minute everybody gets up, as soon as they go get up in the morning, they turn on CNN, or, and they go, what? Or MSNBC, or yeah. whatever. And he says, don't do that, because everybody, is, people are getting very nervous. But I think right. that we, you know, you have to talk about it, because we can't just let, and, you know, as yeah. things happened years ago, you know, like Sala, who the book I wrote to life, she just passed away, yeah. she was 90. And um, she, everything she went through in the Holocaust, in her wildest dream or whatever, she this could have never happened again. But, yeah, but it's it happening happen right again. now in the Southwest and the, with the yes. children of immigrants who are being yes. put in effect yes. in, yes. in camps, you know. Yes. And yes. It, it's Terezin it's all over again. You know Terezin, yes. the place mm-hmm. in Poland where they, the Nazis put all the children, you know, they mm-hmm. took them away and... No, they well, they didn't. They had a left doing. and a right, a left and a right. And you know, Sarah, in yeah. her particular case, um, she was uh, ten, and I, her sister. Well, I think well, actually, when she was in the line to go to the not the greatest way, they put her, they made her look a little older so she could pass and go in as mm-hmm. a worker rather than a child, because people don't realize that what the the troopers did was they took babies threw them in the air and shot them with a gun. Oh, of course. You yeah. know, and it's, yeah. oh, this yeah. is what they yeah. did. And so, I mean, yeah. all of these things that you go like, oh, my God, could this happen? And then you see all these little kids in yeah. behind a screen and not, you know, like, look, at if a baby is two or three years old, they won't remember their parents. Yeah. It's unfortunate because yeah. that's what happens. Right. You know, their, their brains yeah. don't. You know, it just doesn't. Yeah, yeah Martian, let me let me ask you a very serious question here. Have you read Marshall McLuhan's books, The Message is the Medium, The Medium is no. the Message, or no. Understanding Media from the sixties and seventies? You know, no. well, uh-uh. he, he said that he said that television and movies are what he calls a cool medium. Reading is a hot or warm medium. How do you make that distinction? Well. When you watch a TV show or you watch a movie, it's all the work is done for your brain. You don't have yeah. to generate the images from the words. It's all yeah. done for you, and the actors are doing it. When you read a book, you have to generate those images in your own head. So, in effect, neurologically, reading a book changes your brain. All right? Yeah. And what this book is about, David at one point, Patricia says, this is a dangerous book, Deva. And Deva says, only if somebody reads it. Right. You see? right. So see that, what yeah. we have here is a, is a book that can change you if you look at it on, as words on the page. Now, let me read one final section from, from the book where Deva, she's published the book, and she's at a, a reading, and she's coming out, and she says, Deva held up Trisha's point of view. Deva held up two copies of Citadel. She looked like an oracle breathing enlightenment from the fumes in the crack in the world. The room answered with silence. This, Deva said, 
She shook the novel so they flashed in the light. When I wrote Citadel, I was a scientist, but as I read what I had written, I changed. I found that I had written the most personal story possible, and every character in it is me. I glanced around at the hands in front of faces, that mask of disbelief. Davis said, the daughters who are raped in Citadel are me. The daughters in origin of the plague are me. The parthenogenetic mothers are me. The crossovers are me. I felt swords being raised. I waited for the smashing of stone on flesh. But Deva went on. I am Hagar, the bringer of death. I am El, the seer who tells the future. I am Zil, the daughter who discovers the bones of the dead girls in the virgin citadel. Before I wrote this novel, I was a scientist. Now I am a woman. Yeah. Okay. So reading the book, this right. is a book well, that right, can, right. all throughout the book, this. they keep saying the book can become a reality. This has to become a reality. This book must become part of our thinking apparatus, not because I want fame and glory. I don't care about that. My picture isn't even in the book. You know, I don't even. But you're looking my, for truth. My, you're looking for truth. Is what looking you're looking for, for. I, you know, I want people. I want women to read this book and say no. I want women to say no. Yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. You know, one to one to their husbands. No, you can't do that. And and I'm going to take a lot of flack from the the fascist right. You know, for 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 this book, if in fact any anybody ever bothers to read it. You know, but well, I think I think I'm one, pretty, see, I think one of it. the problems is right. You know, all right. So as you know, you know, I don't want to talk about marketing too much, but that's really what this is all about in life now. You know, I took off the month, you know, of July, and uh, mm-hmm. I was planning on doing marketing, and I am doing some marketing. You know, but I I want to write. You know, and see, that's the yeah. thing is. Who will see the book if you don't market it? Because there are so many people out there, you know, that we're in a competition right. with. But and there's right. no way to differentiate if a book is even good or not because Amazon and there's just millions of books and people are writing reviews for people that really the book isn't good and they're just writing it's oh yeah it is good because they shared reviews you know with people yeah. they go like oh you write mine I'll write yours. And you know, I don't do I won't I don't do that I really don't like that it's a bad thing you know but people do it and I mean so right. then the public here we go the public they go like okay what book do we read they go oh look at this book it's got a hundred five star wonderful reviews so then they buy the book and then they're right. not that happy so there's no right. way now you know so what are you doing to I mean you go out and speak which is a good thing and you're yeah you're living in the part of the United States that is more artsy i think that they're they're liking you know different types of you know you have readings a lot more than you know maybe other states so what are you doing you're doing readings i know that which you're great at exactly exactly that you know i'm doing readings i'm talking to people i'm trying to encourage people to get the book into their book clubs to see if that is a possibility because you know this is the sort of thing has to happen one-on-one you know, it can't. I, I well, let me know. Let me answer your question truthfully, Marcia. I don't know. I don't right, know how exactly. to do that. Exactly. Right. Right. I'm right, trying right. to do. I'm trying to do things. We, when I was with Coffee Town, which was you know sold to another press, I kept waiting for Coffee Town to do stuff. You know, but it turns mm-hmm. out they don't. 
So it really doesn't well, most, matter. Most if don't. Most don't. It's just yeah, they, they really don't, one. you know. It's all on you, you know, to do yourself. Yeah, and yeah. you have to overcome. I'm doing more this time than I did with the previous books, with the seven yeah. books from from Coffee Town, because I, I felt that I had waited for them to do stuff um, yeah. and n- nothing happened. So I'm taking almost a, a personal one-on-one approach. I've sent out a number of review copies. Uh, people are a little bit hesitant to write the reviews. I, I don't know. I don't know if they're talking to their friends about the book or not. And frankly, it, it doesn't matter because what well, the will book happen. Clubs, I, I had this girl, this woman on Anna Ford. She was on a few weeks uh, right before, I think. I think mm-hmm. it was before I went away. Uh, I think it was probably in June. So Anna Ford was on. And uh, she is in charge of a lot of book clubs, and she has a website. And she, I asked her, what, what do you what do you go to when you're looking for books to review? Are you looking at the cover? Are you looking at the reviews? And it it was so unbelievable, but it was a good thing in a lot of ways. She said what she Mm -hmm. looked at is the author's bio to see what Mm -hmm. they've done and what their life has been like, and not Mm -hmm. the reviews or not even the cover, which is all the things that people are so worried about is the cover, is the title right, is the review right, Mm -hmm. is the description right, are the tag words right, you know. And Well, you you raise a really interesting thing. One writer who wrote a review, told me, said, you know, I do not ever recall having bought a book off of a review. Now, that was a see, startling... Right. Okay, that's it. That's it. Right. I know. It's always shocking to hear that, isn't it? To me, it's very yeah. shocking, no. you know, because everybody's no. waiting for the reviews. And, you know, I've right. often said this, and which is one of the things I don't like about Amazon. You know, Amazon, it's, it's a really good place to put your books, and it really is. Everybody mm-hmm. knows it. But the thing I don't mm-hmm. like is when they put the numbers down, okay? Like yeah. your number 1 million or 5 million or your number right. 10. And... Yeah. I think it's a writer's block, you know, because you look yeah. at it and you go like, what do you mean? You know, yesterday, yeah. you know, and they they yeah. update it all the time. And I think for writers, maybe, and I don't, and I am sure that I've heard from a lot of people that are readers, they have no idea. They're not even looking at that. We're right. occupied well, Marcia, by looking say, at the wrong let, things. Yeah. Let me tell you one thing that, that happened. One One of my readers, a woman, that I personally carried a book to to her house and put it in her mailbox. You know, okay. She read it and it took a, you know, but, but she read it finally and she wrote me a note, a very good note. She said, wow, what a great read. You know, I really liked it. My husband liked it too, so much that he has bought two new copies or two additional copies. All right. Now, wow. to me, that was the, that is what I want to do. That That's is what, what I'm want. doing. Right. One at a time. She talks to her husband. Her husband buys a book. That yeah. is what matters. If her husband then talks about it with his buddies, you know, what I, yeah, see, all of this. Because that's what Marcia, you want. Just, see, that's the thing. You want someone that is not sitting there going like, you know what? Why didn't he put this in another chapter? Why didn't he do this? Why did he do that? Why, yeah, you want someone yeah, to read yeah. the book and just well, you've read got it two for extra the story. Here. Yeah. You've got commas in this one. Let me read you the first lines of this. This is from another review. I'm giving this book such a high mark for three reasons. First, it's sheer audacity. It really doesn't hold back. 
Each chapter holds a new and horrifying view of our world and its possible future. The book Mm -hmm. is hard-hitting and very uncomfortable at times, but the book never stops, and it shows how the future could be if we don't change our present. Reading this novel reminds me how little it takes for the world to transform. Yeah. Okay, so there's a reader, you know, who got the book. And this is right. about, oh, I really like this book. This is a book that says, this is a book that's changing me. You know, this yeah. is a book that's having an impact on me. But this that's is what, what you, you want. You want people to exactly. see, so, you know, it's not too late. You know, and I, nope. you know, um, I, I will be going out with, probably, with To Life. And I changed some of the book because when I said when Sailor was gone that I would probably go out and speak. She spoke at the Holocaust Museums. But I changed it and I left and I just cut it off to make it a young adult book, not about anything other than when she came to America, because I feel like watching what's happening now, in my just my opinion, is that mm-hmm. I can see how that happened now, and I absolutely didn't really feel how it could happen when I was in. I went every day to her house, and we talked about this. And you know, mm-hmm. when I wrote the book, it was. I wrote every word. It was from her story. And the people, some people, right. you know, they didn't like something she did, but that's, that's the way it was. This is her story, okay, not mine. Right. And right. I, right. because I never in a million years myself even thought that this, I didn't know what I, what I did, how would I know? But when she was telling right. the story, but now I can see how sure, fast you can see it, it could happen. Around you. And yeah, I can feel it. Yeah. And it's yeah. very uncomfortable because, you know, you never certain things that happened in the past we never thought would happen again. So I, I think you're right. right in one thing. You're urging people to just take notice, not sit back. But what right. does that yeah. mean though? I mean, it's you know, I think people really don't like each other anymore and that's you know, like yeah. people even if they're in different parties. I've heard from people that their families don't talk to them anymore because they have right. different parties. I mean, when did it become like this? You know, and uh, we kind of know when that is, but it really was get it was it we're at a time where it could have happened because of how much violence and bad things yeah. do happen. I mean, I live in Chicago. Mm-hmm. People are getting beat up. They get you know, and not all of yeah. Chicago because Chicago's a beautiful place to go. Michigan right. Avenue is beautiful, but there we have a lot of problems here, and there's a lot of cities that have problems. And the worst part about yeah. it is nobody knows when it will be the next city to be hit or I mean it's scary I think it's very scary for people so that's a bad part but I think when you're saying this and this is an intense book but when would you Mm -hmm. put something like that out now now you know what I mean it had to come because as I said you know my wife was very instrumental in writing certain laws in this state that helped guarantee women equal pay for equal work. She, she wrote a book about it like that. My daughter is a professor at a, at a East Coast University. My granddaughter is a very brilliant young woman, you know. And if, in fact, everything that women have worked for goes down the drain because a bunch of Christian fascists think that women shouldn't have control over their own bodies, we have to do something. And my doing at this point is confined to the pages between the covers of Citadel. Now, one, one thing we haven't talked about, Marsha, at all, is the science in the book. Uh, yeah, I, I know it's very interesting. You wrote fiction. I have a note here that, that said fiction slash science. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. what 
what does that mean? I mean, this is a book of fiction, but this is all about science. So, right, I'm yes, glad you're has, talking about that. Go ahead, a, talk well, about that. One of, the, one of the things, I have a friend, his name is Chip Muller, Dr. Chip Muller. He's at the university here, and he uh, actually runs a what is kind of a fertility clinic. Mm-hmm. And what his fertility clinic does partially is to extract sperm and semen from dead men who have died in accidents, automobile accidents, drowned, whatever, so that their wives can have that sperm in case they want to get pregnant at a later time. So what I did was I wrote, I wrote the book. I had him read it. And we spent hours talking about the science in the book such that it seems plausible. In fact, there are two points in the book that he said are one of them is actually happening now. The other he sees as a possibility. The first one is what I call the gynarium section, where they free the mitochondrion from the eukaryotic cell and find out that the that the mitochondrion, which is the female marker, you know, is actually a very powerful thing. And the the other is the extraction of the sperm itself, you see, which tells us that throughout the world, and this is in every culture throughout the world, the number of sperm in each male ejaculation has fallen from a high of 300 million down to if you're 70 million, you're functionally sterile. The, so this is stuff that's happening right now. The right other now. thing... Yes, it is right now. I mean, this is the Why fact. would that be? Okay. Why would that be? From Well, if anybody knew, they would find a cure, but the fact is yeah. they don't. That's, you see, why I was able to push that into this notion of divergent evolution. Women yeah. are going off this direction with their mitochondria intact, and in fact, they don't need the Y chromosome at all. So what in the book, well, let me back up. Brian Sykes, a brilliant writer, wrote a book called Adam's Curse. In Adam's Curse, he talks about the possibility of what he calls intracytoplasmic nuclear injection, where you take 23 chromosomes or nuclear material from one mitochondria and one X chromosome and insert it into the ovum of another chromosome. You get a perfectly 46-generated, 46-chromosome human being without a Y chromosome, no male needed at all. That is actually doing it. They're doing. They call it ICNI, I-C-N-I, intracytoplasmic nuclear injection. And I wrote that into the last third of the book, where the young women get together with one of their counselors and say, "We want to cross. I want to take her material from my ovum, her ovum, and put it into my ovum. We want to have a baby, but we want to have yeah. a daughter." Yeah, okay. I know that's, you know, so that's, the know. science is intact. The science is there. It's happening today. In fact, Japanese researchers have actually found that the ability to make the male is already on the X chromosome. The Y is functionally unnecessary. So men and women are on divergent evolutionary paths. Men are still living in their paleolithic reality. Women are moving into a bright new future where they can see the possibilities. And you know, Marcia, it actually shows up in the way men and women, young men and women represent themselves. You look at the women, they go to the gym, they're beautiful, they dress, they do their hair, they take care of themselves. You look at the men, they look like they just got dragged to a sick cow upside down. They've got scruffy beards. You know, they look yeah. like crap. You know. Well, one of the things is that they don't have a dress code anymore to work, so they just come however. <laughs> they can get out yeah. of bed and just go that's, right to work, you know. And so yeah. I think that's, a, you know, that's how one of the things society 
society has changed, which also in another, while it's changing that way, it's also changing industries because people that used to buy suits and ties and go mm-hmm. to work, they're not buying those mm-hmm. anymore. Correct. So that, you know, and so you could see all the way down in so many ways but how the women, everything but is the women changing. Are still, but the women are still wearing neat clothes and they buy, you know, and yeah. they take care of, you know, not, you know. I, I approach this in Citadel, you know, not all women are perfect. Good God, no. You know, we, you know, women make mistakes all the time. Women do things. They, you know, they make mistakes. But if we look at the, the general direction that's going on, women are much more in control of themselves, you know, than, than the young men are. This is heartening because it well, gives I think us women, the I think women can uh, – uh, women have learned to juggle, you know, different things in their life, and they do it well. Yeah. You know, and so do men, too. There's a lot of men that do that, too. And I think that the fact now that people are having babies, um, maybe they're uh, not married and which isn't the wasn't isn't really such a bad thing because they instead of having a bad marriage, they will have a good life with a family that they want. You know, it's not a bad thing. You know, and I think all of those things that women are trying, you know, and women do care a lot about how they look it's you know it's not about how other people look at them a lot of women it's themselves it's when they look yeah. in the mirror what they see right. you know i am right. one yeah. that is i'm very i, I you know uh, mad at myself in some ways but know why i do it i mean even i don't like pictures and um Yesterday, we I, I had lunch with some people that I haven't seen in a long time, and and it was really fun, and we had a good time. Then they took a picture, and then I really don't like them on Facebook. So then they took a picture, and then it it went on, and I looked at go could I I was not happy because first of all the camera was right at me it doesn't even look like me and i didn't want to be vain or i didn't want to be but i'm going like i hate this picture i don't even want this picture out so i called up one friend i said do not share it so then i asked the person that put the picture out and i go listen just do me a favor take my name off a bit because it doesn't even look like me this way they won't even know it's me (laughs) and i'm mad at myself for doing that and i my husband looks he says what are you doing? I'm going, I'm, I was upset. And, you know, and I'm thinking, because I'm looking at a picture and I'm saying, like, why does that picture have to be out? And that's how women are a lot of times. You know, um, right. they look at something and they don't like how they look and maybe they, they look fine. But it's what we yeah. see when we look in the mirror. I don't get dressed for everybody. I do look at myself. You know, and uh, I won't go yeah. out of my house without makeup or, you know, I really won't, right. you know, and that's just me. Yeah, let me, you know, let me but, tell you, let me tell you a story from a, my childhood. But it's embarrassing in some yeah. ways to be that vain to make some say, like, look, take, get rid of that picture. But that's how women are. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me give and you an example. And I'm mad at myself for being one of them, but that's well, how it goes. Exactly. But that's the way it goes, you know. I know. When I was, <laughs> I lived in the Central Valley in California when I was growing up. And her, my next door neighbor was named, her last name was Escabel. And one day she showed up at our house, clutching her hand, which is bleeding. She had severely cut her finger. And, and we said, we'll get, you know, we'll take, get, we'll take you to the doctor. And she said, oh, no, I have, to change, I have to change my dress first. <laughs> I know. You know. It's so, and, and, you know, it's, see, we, it's so bad, you know. I mean, that we are this way. And, and, you know, and some yeah. people don't understand it. But, you know, and it's not because of what other people think. It's really about what right. we 
think. And, you know, yeah. and yeah. You, you do get mad at yourself sometimes if you go like, because sometimes you look at your closet and women, you know, I'm sure you know this, but you, you put on something and you go, oh, my, my husband used to laugh. Now he's used to it for years. But it's like I'll come out with something completely different. And you're yeah. like, What's going yeah. on? And I say, oh, just a minute. I got to do one thing and then just come out with a whole new. I have to get the right know, one. But, well, yeah, and I'm mad at myself, yeah. but I'm going like that's how it goes. And I don't care about what other people, it's me. So I think that that's one right. of the, you know, that's why in this book, you know, you're, you're saying a lot of things, like even with the blood. I mean, just things that you're talking about are things that yeah. go through women's minds all the time. Okay, good. You know, good. and um, you got into the woman's head. And I think, yeah. and it's good if men are reading it because that would, you know, which I said to you at the beginning before we got, that, you know, as much as you know about women, I'm, there's still questions in your mind, I'm sure, because just when you think you know a woman, then they uh, go, uh-oh, exactly. you know. You know what we should do? We should pass some of this by Jasmina tomorrow night. We are going to do that. All right, so tomorrow, this show's over, and tomorrow night we will be talking yeah. about this because we're going to talk, and who better with than you? Um, yeah. Jasmina, she has a magazine, and it's in Australia, and uh, she's doing very well with it. And uh, this should be very interesting because it's a whole different point of view that we've not had. Yeah. So I think it's yeah. going to be interesting to talk to her because... It, you know, it's a different lifestyle. Everybody yeah. loves, you know, Sydney. They are, yeah. Nobody that's been there yeah. has not liked yeah. it that I know. Right, yeah. And if they, yeah, move, it, they in- move it closer, if they move it closer, I can go because I'm not flying that far. <laughs> <That's> very, funny. <laughs> very funny. Oh, yeah. my God. Okay, All right, anyway, All right, Jack, thank you so much. Uh, you know well, what, your surprise you guest, did, the surprise yeah. guest did not show because she probably got busy, but you mentioned her anyway, Eleanor. So hopefully Eleanor will come on again oh. and you come on too. Oh. But your book, I'm wishing you good success on this book. And um, well, I think you. that it, it has a good message and um, I'll be promoting it for you. Very good. So I tomorrow, we'll see much. tomorrow night at 6.30 your time. It's 8.30 my time. Yep. I will and it talk should be to you very then. interesting. Okay, thank you. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.